We have an exciting morning. We have Dr. Steve Long is here with us from ISCO and Champions. Steve is one of our local missionaries. Our church budget has a line item in it that supports ISCO. Steve has been in ISCO for about two years now. Well, about a year and a half. One year. Okay. I remember when they were discussing hiring you. And so you came last summer. And this is your second time with us. So why don't you come on forward, Steve, and we'll have a prayer. Um, but Steve, and he'll tell you a little bit more about it, but he works with international students at Stanford, and he's taken up the ministry that Johannes Ruskow did before him. And i just like to have a prayer before you start. I'm going to lay my hands on you. Heavenly Father, thank you that you've brought Steve with, to us today, and we pray that you bless him and his message. Send your spirit to him to guide him as he speaks, and that he could edify us and inform us about the ministry of ISCO and Champions. In Jesus' name, amen. Welcome, Steve. Thank you. Good morning. Uh, I am very, very excited to be here with you. I'm going to turn on my microphone, if I can put my glasses on, to see the switch. Um, you know, uh, I, I want to agree with you that nobody should get older, but it's part of life, you know, we, we get older. Uh, younger, you don't think about that very much, but uh, I was in Taiwan in March, and uh, one of my dear friends for the last 20 years is a pastor in South Taiwan with a huge church, and um, John is his name, and John and I were sitting having lunch, and he said, I am so excited, and I said, Why? He said, I'm so excited. I'm 65 today. And I said, give me one reason to be 65 and excited. He said, free bus rides. <laughs> I went, okay. You know, it's okay. I'm uh, 65, and my brother is 66. And for four days, we're twins. Uh, he and I were four days under a year apart, and so for four days... He and I are 65 together, and then next year we'll be 66 together in four days together. It's so much fun getting older, right? <laughs> Actually, I enjoy the maturity level that I have. I'm now at about age 30. Uh, it's taken me a long time to get there. You can ask my kids or my wife that. I want to share a, a few things about... Uh, the first thing I want to talk about is a miracle that happened. Now, my wife just had surgery. I think it's a miracle we have doctors that can do that kind of surgery. Uh, I'm, I'm continuously amazed how God can use our doctors. And as Vicki was having a back surgery several years ago, she actually had a vision that when the doctor put on the gloves, he was putting on Jesus. And he was the hands of Jesus to her. And uh, it was really very important at that point. Uh, and still is. Um, but I had an experience, and I wanted to tell you about it. Um, I've had a heart condition my whole family. On my father's side, my mother's side, all died in their 50s, except for my father. He made it till he was 66. But almost everybody died from heart condition, buildup of plaque in their hearts. And so I thought, well on both sides of my family. I probably have that too. So I started having pain in my chest as I was exercising, which I, even though I don't look like it, I exercise a lot. And um, I, I exercise two to three hours, three times a week minimum. Uh, 
and it's going to keep me alive till I'm 104. And I'll still look like I do now. And so I, I was so excited about uh, exercise and stuff. But in Taiwan, I noticed that every once in a while, I'd have stress come across my chest. And I thought, hmm, maybe I can do more exercise and stuff, press through this pain. So I tried that, and it got worse. And then one of my dear friends, who's a pastor in uh, East Taiwan, 49 years old, died instantly from a massive heart attack caused by plaque buildup. My wife at that point said, Steve, you're going to the doctor today. And I said, why? And she said, you're next if you don't, probably. So I went to the doctor. He checked. And you know when they're putting a CT scan on you and about halfway into the scan, the technician shuts the machine off. And I thought, well, maybe they lost power. Now, and then the technician comes running into the room and he says, don't move. And I thought, this doesn't sound like a good scenario. Doctor has to talk with you. And I thought, that's really a bad scenario. And they showed that I had 11 spots on my heart on the front two arteries that needed attention immediately. Or I would die. And so uh, I, I went to another specialist for a second opinion. And he said... He looked at the picture. He said, when are you going to come see me? And I said, how about if I finish this semester? I was teaching at three universities. And he said, when next week are you coming in? <laughs> and so I went in. And the first thing that he did was put a stent in. And they went through this artery right here into my heart. And I was laying there with no sedative, no medication at all. And I said, Doc, when are you starting? He said, look up at the screens. And he was already taking pictures inside my heart. I had no feeling of pain whatsoever with no, no medication. And uh, he did give me a little cream right there to numb it so he could go in. He, he said, we, we need to put a stent there. So we put a stent there. A year and a half later, I started having a little stress again, so I went back. This time, it wasn't plaque buildup. It was the inside of the artery had developed a flap. The inside of the artery fell and was flapping and so every once in a while, I wouldn't be walking. I'd, go, oh, I'd have a horrible time. And so I thought, what am I doing? So I went back to him. And this time he gets in there and goes, oh, no. Now, when the best surgeon in Taiwan says, oh, no, you got problems. <laughs> and so, oh, God. So um, he's a very strong Buddhist. So I said, Doc, can I pray for you first? He says, pray? I said, yeah, dog out, dog out. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I said, Jesus, don't let him make any mistakes. And we both laughed. And he put a second stent in my heart. And that was not a problem. The problem was the dye they used for the, the camera was stronger and my heart stopped. I was wide awake. And I'm listening to beep, beep, beep. I said, Doc? He said, yeah, I know. Cough as loud and hard as you can. Let me give you an, an important thing. If you suspect you're having a heart attack, which you know when you are, um, cough as hard and loud as you can and your heart will start again. So I coughed, it started. A minute later, it stopped again. I coughed, it started. But this time, there was quite a bit of pain. A minute later, it stopped again and I couldn't cough. It was in so much pain. And I was in cardiac arrest. And I was laying there and I moved my feet to make sure I was still alive. And I was praying and saying, Lord... I don't see any pictures of all my life flashing before me. 
And God spoke to me on the operating table and said, I told you to go to Stanford. <laughs> and when you're dying, it really doesn't matter too much what God told you. It's like, okay, I'm, I'm okay with that if you bring me back. And then uh, all of a sudden the doctor goes, oh! And he knew what was wrong. I was having a reaction to the dye. So he gave me a, a shot about that long right into the artery of an anti uh, allergen and dopamine both at the same time and beep 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 I said I'm going to be okay and he said I know shut up <laughs> and so I wanted to tell you that I've got that heart history the last four months every time I exercise I was having stress on my heart really bad and I thought maybe I can just press through it and it'll quit hurting you know your heart muscle doesn't work like other muscles you can't press through pain that's on your heart or you'll die. And so I went to my primary care and I said, this is what the symptoms are. And he said, we're getting you into a specialist now. So we go into the specialist. And he, he did a little bit of checking. He said, I want you on a nuclear treadmill on Monday. That's last Monday. Okay, so last Monday, I go on the nuclear treadmill. I got on it, and I made four minutes, and I was in car almost cardiac arrest. It hurt so bad I couldn't hardly stand it. I jump off, and they said, let's try to take the second set of pictures. They didn't come out. It was too, I was too nervous for it, probably. And so they said, you have to come back on Wednesday and redo it. So we had the first set of pictures, and then Monday morning, it messed up. And then Tuesday, I went to a healing prayer meeting. And these folks laid hands on me, and they said something like, Oh, God, please heal him. Amen. I said, Oh, I hope it works. And Wednesday morning, I went to Palo Alto and took the test. And I noticed the first thing that when they put the band on me, it was 108 over 80. I have not had that low of blood pressure, even with medication, since I was 16. And I said, excuse me, I think you made a mistake. Please take it again. They took it, and it was 110 over 80. And I thought, something changed. So I got on the treadmill, and I'm going like crazy. I'm huffing and puffing because I am out of shape, and, but no pain. And I went seven and a half minutes with no pain. And they take me off the treadmill. They took the pictures, proving that there's no ischemia left. I had eight other places that were due to have surgery in the next few years, and they're all gone. Who healed me? Jesus. Why? I have no idea. My wife just had surgery. She deserves healed a lot more than I do, but I was healed. And I want to give the glory to God because I'm on the treadmill four times this last week with absolutely no pain, running my heart up to 150 beats a minute, no pain at all. Thank you, Jesus. So that's the first testimony I want to give. And the, then I want to encourage you to pray for each other to be healed. Don't ever pray, oh God, if it's your will. Find one place in the Bible besides Elisha who people uh, died because of God willing them to be sick. If you really believe it's God's will for you to be sick, then don't go to the doctor. Stay sick. Hello? That's true. If you believe it's God's will for you to be sick, then don't go to the doctor. You're ruining God's will. <sighs> okay. 
I want to give you a short testimony now about CHAMPS and ISCO. When we came, we had no idea what to do on Stanford because Johannes died. And he didn't tell us what he wanted us to do or what he'd been doing. You know how hard it is to try to figure out what somebody did when they are pretty well a loner? (laughs) It's really difficult. So we prayed. We said, Lord, what do we do? And we found out a few things that he did, so we we duplicate those. But mainly, he was teaching Bible studies. But this whole year, we've been praying and fasting and seeking the Lord. We've had two 40-day fasts with no food. Now, you can't tell that from me, but my wife fasted 40 days. I can't fast that long because I had an infection in my stomach years ago, and I can't fast like that anymore. But I prayed, and I fasted one day a week for a year. That's 50 Three days, 54 days, something like that. I don't want to teach Bible studies on Stanford. I want to teach those students how to plant Bible studies in their home nations. And then I want to teach them what we're doing with champions and take them to Taiwan and show them a microcosm of a nation that we are taking the school system in. And then I want to equip them with how to do it and license them and send them back to plant the church and take the schools in their own nations. And Stanford is the best platform in the world right now educationally to do that from. And that's why God brought us here. Is it possible? No, it's impossible. So was Taiwan Champions when we started it 21 years ago. We started with four volunteers and my wife teaching one junior high class in the middle of Taiwan how to solve problems. Today, we have graduated over 2.5 million young people through those classes. We have 6,000 Christian volunteers going into the local public schools teaching champions classes, which are life skills, problem-solving skills, emotions management, and things like that. This year, we have those 6,000 volunteers, 54 full-time staff, and 11 offices coordinating them. And even in universities, we're teaching the material. And we have 179,000 students. 10% plus of those students will receive Christ this year. The churches in Taiwan, when we came there, were 1.8% Christian. The whole nation of Taiwan, 1.8%. Right now, Taipei City, where we have the strongest concentration of champions classes, is 10% Christian in 21 years. And the entire nation overall is 6% Christian. It's not just us doing it. It's God doing it through a major move of the Spirit, but mainly through young people organizations, and we are the largest one in Asia. Why would God bring me back to Stanford where it's hard to get one person to even think about God because even the Christians or the supposed Christians on campus are anti-Christ? The ones in charge of the religious groups on campus are anti-Christian. Why would God do that to me? There's a real easy reason. It's called pruning. You know how easy it is to get prideful that you did something 
when you have two million young people that came through your program and 151,000 so far have received Christ? People say, oh, I saw you on TV, Steve. <clears throat> you know how hard it is to keep from getting prideful? It's impossible. I got prideful. And God said, I want you to start over and see how hard it is again. And you know, Stanford, from here, in fact, from this area all the way to San Francisco, per capita has less Christians than the nation of Afghanistan. And it's our fault. Because we're sitting on our butt in a church every Sunday and you're not doing anything out there to get God into people's lives. Now, if, you're, if I'm wrong, correct me and tell me how many people you've led to Christ in the last year. Or how much you weep over those kids at Stanford. When I had a group of us, there was uh, 36 of us groups came together, about 220 students at Stanford campus. And we were met at the door of the Memorial Church by two Asian girls and two white guys waving a 10-foot penis at us. Where are we at? The church is busy right here instead of out there, and that's why you don't have them in here. Are you willing to risk your life for being a fool for Christ? And most of you say, oh yeah, I do it. Then why are you not doing it? God is getting ready to judge this area with the largest earthquake that they've ever had. And most of you don't even know it because you don't listen to his voice. We need a revival like the ones I've studied and like a couple that I've been in. And I am so sorry if I make you uncomfortable. Maybe it'll be enough to get you off your butt and do something. Oh, I'm too old, Steve. No, you're not. My oldest volunteer in Taiwan's 93, and he says it keeps him alive. 71 of the people in central Taiwan are doctors, medical doctors. They go to the school six or eight hours a week. And they're getting young people saved and they're infecting their family with the gospel. Why? Because they know it's a chance to do something for God. And they're going to do it. We need a revival. I studied all the revivalists in history. This area of the United States has never had a real revival. New York's had revival over and over and over where they call it the uh, overfired area. Revival after revival, probably because they need it more than we do in California. But it's so important that we cry out to God to send us the real thing here. Most Christians here do not know Christ. I know that's a horrible statement to make, but what did he tell you this morning in your prayer time? And if you don't have a word to answer, then you may want to check and see if you really know him. In John 15, Jesus said, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes it away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so it will bear more fruit. What is fruit according to scripture? Love, peace, joy, patience, 
long-suffering, kindness, self-control. On the scale of 1 to 10, how much patience do you have with people, especially the ones you live with? On a scale of 1 to 10, how much unconditional love do you have to the black guy that's over in Oakland, to the gangbangers that are downtown, to the sexual perversion that's going on in San Francisco and everybody winking at it as if God doesn't care? To the equal language that we so easily embrace as a church where God specifically states things are sin and we need to treat them as such. I'm not saying kick people out of the church, just get them saved. You're already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you, Jesus said to the disciples. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. What's it mean to abide in Jesus? What does that mean? Does it mean going to church ten times a week? Well, going to the church, does that make you a Christian? No, going into a chicken coop doesn't make you a chicken. Your feet just smell like one. What makes you a Christian? Well, I pray. So, the Muslims pray five times a day. They pray much more than we do. Buddhists pray more than you and I do. What makes you a Christian? Well, I got baptized. Does washing your outside of your body when you haven't changed your heart make you a Christian? No. It makes you a clean sinner that's going to hell. Many people that sit in the church today, if they, even if they've sat there their entire life, will go to hell when they die. Even if they were baptized in water, if they are not living in relationship with the Son of God, Jesus Christ, and know His voice and walk with Him daily, they will not be in heaven. Oh, that tears my heart. It tears my theology up, but it's truth. It's only the ones that finish the race that get into heaven, not the ones that start. Well, you mean you can leave your faith? I've seen people do it, folks. I hope they come back before they die, but I've known several that died, and I was at their deathbed when they were dying, and they didn't look anything like they were going to heaven. They were scared. They were full of hurt and pain. One of them was an elder in the church that I pastored. And he did not want to die because he knew that he hated the church and he hated the pastor. And he was dying with that on his conscience. And he did not lift his hands up to the Lord when he died. He died in stark terror. My dad, who resisted the Lord almost all of his life, came to the Lord the last year of his life. And when he died, I was standing there and he goes... And that's the way he died. I know where he is. I'm not sure about that elder. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. Again, what's it mean to abide in Jesus? I'm married to Vicky, 
And I'm so glad that I married to Vicki almost all the time. Not 100% of the time, almost all the time. There's sometimes when we don't like each other, but we love each other anyway. But what does it mean to abide? Well, let me give an example from our life. For the first 15 years of our marriage, we worked together, we ate together, we slept together. We were together 24-7 for 15 years. I was not working outside. I was working in the church. He was working in the church. We were together all the time. And, you know, when you work that closely with somebody you love and you like as a friend, it's fun. I don't know what it would be like with some couples that I know, but we really worked together good as a couple. We were abiding together. We were together 24-7. And it was almost like we could think on such a wavelength. I'd know what she was thinking. She knew if I was thinking about sin. It was crazy. She'd say, how are you doing with this area? I go, Funny you should ask. Let's pray. <laughs> you know. And it was so good because she kept me holy. And so we had a really good relationship. And then when we were on one of our trips around the Pacific, bringing revival to different churches... By the way, the reason I'm scolding is because I'm a revivalist. That's the way you get people to repent, generally. But anyway, um, the, the, we were in Taiwan, and I was going to Singapore, because I had to be in Singapore, then Malaysia, and then Australia. Vicky was going to come one day later, so that would be the first time we'd been apart in six, 15 and a half years. And she stayed back in Taiwan to negotiate with the government on doing champions, then she came to Singapore. We got ready, and at the airport, she says, I hate to break the news, but Taiwan wants me back, and you'll have to go the rest of the three months without me. I sat on the airplane in the bathroom with the door locked from Singapore to Melbourne, Australia, weeping, because I felt like part of my heart had been torn out, and it was God that did it. <laughs> my wife left me for God. <laughs> it was good, <laughs> but... It was hard, and it was, a, it was like, rip! That's how strong God wants to abide with you. If something comes in between you and him, even little, you will go, oh my God, what is happening? My heart is being ripped out, because your best love life is God himself. And if it isn't, you still want to check to see if you're really saved. The first words I say in the morning is not, good morning, Vicky. That's second. My first words are, good morning, Jesus. I love you, man. Because I know how much I was saved from. And so to abide is to be with him continuously. If anybody does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and they cast them into the fire... And they're burned. Now, I don't know what that means. I don't know if that's forever. Don't try it. Just abide. It's a lot easier. And Jesus said it strong enough, you should pay real close attention to it. Why do I abide in Christ? Because that puts a little fear on me. Oh, but Steve, it's the love of God. Yes, but there's a fearful thing of dealing with the God of Almighty who requires holiness and purity in our lives. And relationship with Jesus is what brings holiness and purity. Nothing else. You can't do it to get good enough. 
You can't be good enough. You have to depend on Jesus himself. And if you don't have relationship with him, then you can't depend on him. It's not about reading your Bible. It's not about being baptized. It's about a person, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He's alive. I have seen him with my eyes. I know he's alive. I've seen the holes in his feet. I've knelt at his feet and picked up the blood-stained garment and wiped them out, tears out of my eyes. With his garments, he's alive. He's not dead like Buddha. He's not dead like Muhammad. And if he's alive, which he is, your important relationship is him, no one else. No one else can take you into salvation, only he. It's not good enough to sing about it, pray about it, do anything else about it except have that relationship. And the only way you get relationship is abiding like I described that I did with my wife. Do you mean I get up every morning? Yep. Now I'm going to share a story. Greater love, the 15, verse, verse 14 and 15 says, Greater love has no one than this, that they're able to lay their life down for a friend. Now, I don't know Hans very well, but we're kind of friends, a little bit. But if somebody were to take a gun and point it at him or me, I'd say, Hans, you're going to enjoy heaven. <laughs> now, I hope I wouldn't say that, but... I, Chances are, if somebody was really close, like my wife is my best friend on earth, I think I could take a bullet for her. I don't want to, but I think I could. But you know, I had a guy pull a gun on me when I was telling about Jesus down in L.A. He pulled a gun out, and he put it to my head. And he says, what do you think about Jesus now? And you know, my heart was just like a butter, uh, like a... Uh, a hummingbird wing. And, and I said, you can't kill me. All you do is release me and I'll go with Jesus full time. He says, you really believe this stuff? And I said, no. I was in communist China a few years ago. And a cadre, the head of the communist party in the village, he was at a house group that I was speaking at, an underground church. And he said, you a Christian? I said, yeah. He said, do you believe in Jesus? I said, no. He said, are you a Christian? I said, yes. He said, do you believe in Jesus? And I said, no. He said, what do you mean? I said, I don't just believe in Jesus. I know him personally. He's my best friend. I'm with him every day, all day, and every night, all night. He and I are close friends. It's not about going to church. It's about friendship with God. If it's about going to church, check to see if you really got the friendship. Because if you're just doing this for him to show you that you're some kind of a friend of his without being a friend of his, that's why they call us hypocrites. We don't live it. But if you're a friend of God, it's real easy. It, it just comes out of your life. Now, I want to tell you a story about an old man that I met. He was old when I met him. He's in heaven now. If he was alive, he'd be 97 or 98 this year. I met him when he was 65, my age. God help us. Okay. His name was Kenneth Wright. You probably won't ever hear any teachings by him. But he came to all of our youth with a mission bases in the world because somebody had discovered him. 
He was a pastor in Christ Church, New Zealand. I have never, ever seen anybody with relationship with God like that man had. I've not even read about it, and I've read the whole Bible 47 or 48 times. This guy knew God. And when we were having our uh, ministry times, he would teach, and then he'd come and say, oh, this is what you've been praying for, and here's the word. And every word that he gave was 100% accurate, including things like, oh, your, your address back in Australia is such and such. How did you know? God told me. Oh, and he was not reading minds. He was in tune with God. And so this old man would come and he would do that. Well, my wife had a blood sugar disease back then that was really, really hurting her because missionaries don't eat good. <laughs> She was supposed to be eating only protein. She was eating starch mainly. So every day she would get more and more weak. And we asked him if he'd pray for her. And he came to me first. He said, I want to pray for you first, young man. And he started naming sins that only God and I knew about. Vicky didn't even know about him. One of the sins that he named, I would take my Bible and memorize Old Testament scriptures because somebody told me that I was a prophet. And so I would memorize scriptures and then I'd go to groups and I'd prophesy over them with the Old Testament. Ken looked at me and said, that was a sin. I know you've repented, but you need to know that I know. And uh, it scared me real bad. That man knew everything that I'd ever done wrong. How would you come to church if you knew Hans knew everything that you ever did wrong? You know how we'd go to this, this meeting? We'd, Jesus, please don't tell him anything. You know, but he got us clean. I mean, he knew us. God knows you. God knew us. And God was enabling him to have that kind of a gift that he knew us. The Bible calls that word of knowledge. Then... There was another thing, the music factor. Oh, by the way, he prayed for my wife after he finished dealing with me. She was totally healed within 24 hours. She could eat ice cream right now. It won't hurt her. She doesn't because she's healthy. But she can eat ice cream right now. It won't hurt her. Um, but this old man, there was one other thing, the music thing, I call it. When we would be worshiping, we had people like Barry McGuire from the New Christie Minstrels and... Uh, Bob Dylan, and other people in this school that were really, really famous. And our leadership said, no instruments, we only use our voices to worship God. Because they knew that these guys could really get prideful. And so they said, no instruments, let's just worship God a cappella. And so I'd be sitting there on the front row, because I wanted everything this old man had. And all of a sudden, you'd hear a trumpet play with us as we're worshiping. You know, we're, we're going, Jesus... I love you. And you get this, do -de -do -de -de -do -do. wow, that was good. At one time I stood up and looked around. Nobody had a trumpet, but the old man was walking in the door. And a trumpet played every time that man walked in the door while we were worshiping. Now, I don't know about your church service, but I had never seen that before. And I thought, whoa, what is this about? And so... We went to him. Now, you've got to realize, we're talking about a man of God who knows every sin in your life and a trumpet plays when he comes in the door. And so three or four of us that are big mouths went to him and said, 
can we ask you some questions? Yeah. And he said, what? We said, well, what about the trumpet, number one? He says, oh, that. <laughs> like it happens all the time. He said he'd never heard it. But he said every meeting that he goes to to speak, somebody comes up and said, when you walked in the door, I heard a trumpet play. And he said, the only thing I can figure out is God sends this angel with me, and he likes to play trumpet. I don't know. I, I have no idea scripturally where you'll find that. But probably you can find something about a trumpet and the proclamation of God's truth in the scripture. Okay, so I'll leave that to you theologians to do. But I heard the trumpet, so I was blown out by it. And so then we talked with him another time about two days later before he was leaving. We said, can you tell us how you got to know Jesus like you do? Because we've never seen anybody that knows the Lord like you do. And he said, I'll tell the whole class tonight. <laughs> yeah. And so we went to class that night. We're all on the edge of our seat. And he said, you know, some of you asked me how I got to know the Lord. And everybody's, yeah. And we said, how did you get to know the Lord like this? And he said, are you willing to pay the price to do it too? And of course, back then I was, what, 34 years old. I said, yeah, I'll do anything. I'll go anywhere, do anything. I want to know Jesus like you do. And he said, okay. And so he told us his story. This is not my story. This is his story. 30 years earlier, he was pastoring in Christ Church, New Zealand. And he had little kids. You know, when you got kids this tall, it's hard to have a concentrated time with Jesus, right? <laughs> it's really difficult. And so he would get up real early every morning. Now, I don't get up as early as he did. I have my own special time with the Lord. It's 4.30. And I get up every morning at 4.30, and I spend the first two to three hours with God before my day starts. Because without that, I'm lost. And so he got up even earlier than that. And he, he said, the only time I could have any peace in my house was when the kids are asleep and my wife is in bed asleep. He said, then I, you know, he'd go out in his study. He had a rocking chair that he would put next to the window in Christchurch, New Zealand. And you could look out and see, you can imagine all those stars. And so he would sit there every morning, day after day, and he got one time to this scripture that said, it's Psalm 103, um, it's uh, verse 1 through 3. It says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord and forget none of his benefits who crowns you with loving kindness. And he stopped in his tracks and he said, wait a minute. How can the dirt bless the creator? Now, the Chinese Bible has gone one step further. They retranslated it, and they say, praise the Lord, because the younger cannot ever bless the older. It's always the older that blesses the younger. So they mistranslated the Word of God for culture. And so it's, it's very, very interesting what, what happened. Ken was just sitting there contemplating this, and he said, but Lord, I know that the Hebrew writer knew what he was doing when he wrote, bless the Lord, and so, Lord, by faith, bless you. And he would bless the Lord every night for weeks and weeks and weeks. And this one night, he's sitting in his rocking chair, and he's just sitting there rocking. And he said, all of a sudden, the door opened up behind him, and he thought, oh, my wife got up to join me. 
My wife's joining me. Hallelujah. Then he felt a, a hand come on his shoulder. And he went, oh, good woman. And then he looked at the hand and there was a nail hole through it. And he said he didn't know what to do. And finally, he just put his hand up on top of the Lord's hand like that. And tears started falling on his hand. And finally, Ken said, Lord Jesus, why are you weeping? And the Lord, with a broken voice, said, I wish that all my children would become my friends. And you know, my heart broke that night. That was in 1979, December, in Lausanne, Switzerland, in the middle of a snowstorm at a YWAM camp. And I bolted. I left the room. I couldn't stand to be in the presence of God. And I ran outside and knelt in the snow, and I cried all night long. Lord Jesus, I am so sorry. I go to church. I even cast demons out in your name. But never once did I try to be your friend. I don't even know what that means. So way back then, I started getting up at 4.30 in the morning. And so now I have my, when, when it works, I have my computer with my journal, my Bible, my audio Bible on my headset, and I spend two hours with God every morning, or three hours sometimes. Why? Fear. <laughs> I know that we need to know the Lord. And I don't know where your relationship with God is, but I know mine is really destitute sometimes, and I need to draw close and close and close. And the only way I can do it is spending quality time with him. When the boys are asleep, when Vicky's Vicky's been on her knees every morning since we've been married, 38 years. I've never seen her miss a morning. She's on her knees in bed, bottom up in the air, and, oh, Jesus, you know. Uh, don't picture that. But she is a woman of God. There's no doubt about it. She's heaven-bound. And some of you might be spell-bound and still hell-bound by believing the lie of the enemy that just going to church or being baptized is going to take you to heaven. It won't. Relationship with Jesus himself is the only way in the door. I know your theology doesn't teach that completely. Mine doesn't either. But I've seen people with relationship with him versus people that don't have relationship with him. And church doesn't make much difference. It's who you know. It's him. Himself. And church is an extra benefit for those of us that know him. Hopefully. So I wanted to, to share that with you. I don't want you to have an emotional experience. I want you to have a radically logical dedication of the rest of your life to seek him in relationship. Because without that relationship, we won't bless him as much as he deserves. He deserves our lives, every part of them. Anything else, Lord? We really do need to pray that God brings the whole church into repentance and into restoring relationship with him in this area. I don't know if you know it, but we sit right on top of the largest fault line in the Western Hemisphere. And it doesn't take much for God to just go, and 
you know, if it goes all at once, the 1906 earthquake will look small. And all the seismologists say we're overdue. So I think we should pray for small earthquakes once a day on up and down the fault line, but also that we should ask God to help us to get into that relationship with him that will please him. I've spoken in many churches this last year. Generally speaking, the church in this area is on the decline. Churches are shutting their doors and joining each other. Uh, there's only a few churches that are not affected somehow, but most of them are being affected severely right now. I don't know the answer, but I know that God can bring a revival everywhere. And if he can do it to upper state New York, if he can do it to Kentucky, if he can do it to other areas of our country, he can surely do it to us. And it takes us developing that relationship and then crying out, God, there's got to be more. There's got to be more. And uh, we've, we've seen small earmarks of revival down in L.A. right now. There are literally thousands of young people who are gathering in each other's homes. They got tired of the politics that they saw in their personal churches, so they just started gathering in each other's homes. And this is pastors' kids, and you know, thousands of them. Most of them are Chinese. Um, the Asians, you know, we we need to learn. Uh, they are pressing into revival. Like, I, I hope to be able to take Hans to uh, Taiwan for a week or two just to, so he could teach and preach from pulpits there. You cannot believe it. No matter whose denomination you teach in, they'll come running forward for God. It's, it's so radically removed from here. And yet, it's possible to do it here. God can do the same thing here he's doing in other places. And, you know, ever since I started studying revival, I have wanted to see God's people come into that friendship with him like Ken had. Ken didn't even realize how much that story impacted the few of us that heard it. But every one of us has dedicated our life to being with God every day for the rest of our life, no matter what the cost, and being his friends. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I don't know our hearts, but you do. And you know each one of us that has a relationship with you. And, Lord, it gives you great joy that we have the relationship with you. It brings your heart pain when we don't have a relationship with you. And so, Lord, I'm asking for each one of us that you'll help us. And, Lord, you've given each one of us assignments in life. One of my assignments is at Stanford. And, Lord, I don't know how to do it. All I know is what you've spoken to my heart. And so we're going to make that happen. But, Lord... You do it, or it's not going to get done right. And Lord, we're asking you to heal our diseases. Lord, I thank you for my heart that was healed this last month. I thank you that the doctors were able to be used on Vicky's foot. And I thank you that you will heal us. And so, Lord, I'm asking you to come. Come to our birthday boy and heal his heart, heal his body. Give him many, many more years with he and his wife. And Lord, we ask you to bless each one of us. And above all, that our lives could be a blessing to you. In the name of Jesus.
Amen.